Welcome to Set Free 24-7. I'm Robert, and I am thrilled to have you on this journey through the message. In today's episode, get ready for Tales of the Quails, where we're going to learn about complaining and God's delicious provision. We begin our journey today in Matthew 22, where the Pharisees are going to try to stump Jesus with a question, but he brilliantly sums up the law and reveals the greatest commandment. Talk about some wisdom that packs a punch. And then next, we're going to move over to Romans chapter 4. Paul highlights Abraham's faith as an example of righteousness, not through some rule following, but through trust in God. Faith takes center stage in this one. Then we're going to jump in the Wayback Machine and head over to Psalm 52, where it tells a tale of two people, the wicked who trust in their wealth and the righteous who trust in God's unfailing love. It's a poetic reminder to rely on what truly matters. And then we're going to end our journey today in Numbers. Here we're going to go on a wilderness ride from the purification of the Levites to the Israelites' complaints and then God's provision with those quails. The desert has got some wild tales, my friends. So let's hit the road together. Pack your hope up, your curiosity, throw that in the trunk too. And we're going to get ready to begin this journey. And we will meet you on the road wherever you are. So buckle up. Let's get started on this journey through the message. Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. And welcome to all of our listeners out there. Hi, everyone. I hope you're having an amazing day. I hope so, too. It's a beautiful day out here. It is. It's beautiful out today. And I hope it's beautiful wherever you're at getting ready while we are going to read you You. the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. All right, that's about probably the last song you're going to get from us, but we were just inspired earlier and thought we would share a little <laughs> a little tune with you. A simple donation would guarantee we never do that again. So <laughs> it, There wouldn't even have to be a comma in that. Uh, no, you yeah. know, like a dollar would do it. So, <laughs> Oh, wife, how are you this week? I am good. It's been an interesting day. Um, Just some interesting news on both sides of the spectrum. And it's, I'm finding that it's an interesting place to be. We've talked about for a while that, you know, this was bound to happen at some point. And when you're faced with it, it's a lot to sift through. So just on that. It's bound to happen. I mean, you're you're being a little bit elusive here. Um, I am facing the death of a parent. And um, I received word from my brother this morning that things are looking Mm -hmm. pretty grim. And um, this context here, this is my mother, your mom, who you haven't had. I have been estranged from for decades. Yeah. Um, I can't even, I couldn't tell you the last time I've seen her, spoke to her, which is profoundly sad. And it's, um, yeah, you know, if if you filed along at all or or know any, it's you know it's a sad situation and involves some excommunication and shunning. But um, it's it's still, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's family and um, yeah, it always will be. It's a lot, 
to process this today. You know, my when I see a text come through and I look and I see that it's my brother and nobody in my family talks to me, I know that it's something important. And um, I think I've been kind of preparing for this uh, for quite some time now. Yeah. And it looks like uh, the end is approaching quickly. Um, for contact, she's been diagnosed with heart failure for quite some time. So there's been ongoing health issues. But if you are the praying sort, I would welcome your prayers over my family at this time and in fact challenge you to pray for healing and restoration in the way that God himself can work it because that's the only way mm. that this family will be healed yeah. or brought together in any way, shape, or form. And what a beautiful blessing that would be if that would happen before a death. But I'm not going to hold my breath, and yeah. I'm going to trust God. I've heard and been a part of some pretty amazing family restoration mm. things. And uh, so I. it's not that I wish that for you, but I... It's my prayer that whatever needs to happen, happens. Yes. And um, and that you're open to it, that everyone else in the family is open to it. Yes. And that you can really just put the past in the past and, and move beyond it. Yeah. I've been asking God to take my human feelings out of this and to give me a heart of love and a desire for restoration. Whatever that may look like or require me to do, if God calls me to do it, I'm not going to say no. Yeah. Um, the human part of me <laughs> wants to, but yeah. um, I won't. I, w- I will never say no to God again because he's only shown me good things since I've changed my life around, handed it to him, and began saying yes. So I will continue mm. to do that even in this Situation, And I'm trying very hard. I'm not going to start crying now because I'm not even to Psalms yet. (laughs) But there's emotions. And then uh, further down the road, I can share some other news, which is the other side of the spectrum and very joyful, but can't quite share that one yet. Yep. yep. We got to keep a lid on that one. So, all right. So I'm going to start out with prayer here. Father God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for rescuing us. Yes. Thank you for how you leave the 99 and you actively go searching for us, Mm -hmm. for the people that have ran away from you, for the people that have turned away from you in such a way you continue to pursue us. And Father God, I am so grateful that you didn't give up after the second time. The third time, Mm. the fourth time, the fifth time, hundreds, thousands, probably millions of times that I have turned away and you have just stayed there with your hand out, letting me know it's okay to come back and it's okay to come back for you too. Mm. So Father God, just... Put it in all of our hearts today. Just that intimate knowledge of how much you love us, how much you care for us, and that you're not going to stop. The going gets tough for you, but you keep going. You keep searching Mm, and you keep loving. 
So thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to uh, do what we do here. And I pray a special blessing over anyone that hears this. And I I just hope that uh, you have the invitation into their heart and their mind uh, to just make a difference in whatever way you do. So I ask this all in your holy name. I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Yes. It struck me how um, I am sitting across the table from another one of those, the one he left the 99 for. <laughs> Both of us um, in our own have way. been in that role. And I now see it as what an utter blessing that God led me through that path just so he could just heap love on me and God knew what I needed mm. in order to fully believe and trust that his love for me is real and it's true and it's genuine yes. and it's endless, yes. not dependent on my feeble human mm-hmm. efforts. Yeah, for sure. Now, today, I think you, if I remember right, you're going to be ending Chapter 22, is it? I am okay, going to so be you're ending. In Matthew. Yes, yes. I'm excited to read this one. All right. I I'm think ex- you'll figure out why. <laughs> Starting at verse 34. When the Pharisees heard how he had bested the Sadducees, they gathered their forces for an assault. One of their religion scholars spoke for them, posing a question they hoped would show him up. Teacher, which command in God's law is the most important? Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list, but there is a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hangs from them. As the Pharisees were regrouping, Jesus caught them off balance with his own test question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said, David's son. Jesus replied, well, if the Christ is David's son, how do you explain that David, under inspiration, named Christ his master? God said to my master, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, if David calls him master, how can he be, at the same time, be his son? That stumped them, literalists that they were. (laughs) Unwilling to risk losing face again in one of these public verbal exchanges, they quit asking questions for good. (laughs) They just had it with them. (laughs) They couldn't win. Right. They could not win in the fact that these were the top-level religious scholars of the day. And I can just imagine them all huddled together talking about, what are we going to ask them? We got to stump them. We're going to trip them up with this one and being all full of themselves and coming out. Like they rehearsed the question. They got it all down. Yeah, like the the grand man, the big guy, you know, saying asking them the question, and then they're like, uh... Uh, and Jesus just sitting there looking at him, waiting for an answer. And what an amazing example of how to talk and discuss with other people. I, I love it. Jesus, you're amazing. I know you've taken some inspiration from that over these last uh, few episodes. I have. I have. 
All right, now I'm going to be picking up in Romans, and this is titled Trusting God. This is Romans chapter 4, and it starts out, it says, So how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story that we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in scripture is Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. If you're a hard worker and do a good job, you deserve your pay. We don't call your wages a gift. But if you see that the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do, and then you trust him to do it, you could never do it for yourself, no matter how hard and long you worked. Well, that trusting him to do it is what gets you set right with God, by God. It's a sheer gift. David confirms this way of looking at it, saying that the one who trusts God to do the putting everything right without insisting on having a say in it is one fortunate man. Fortunate those whose crimes are whisked away, whose sins are wiped clean from the slate. Fortunate the person against whom the Lord does not keep score. Do you think for one minute that this blessing is only pronounced over those of us who keep our religious ways and are circumcised? Or do you think it's possible that the blessing could be given to those who have never even heard of our ways, who were never even brought up in the disciplines of God? We all agree, don't we, that it was by embracing what God did for him that Abraham was declared fit before God. Now think. Was that declaration made before or after he was marked by the covenant rite of circumcision? That's right, before he was marked. That means that he underwent circumcision as evidence and confirmation of what God had done long before to bring him into this acceptable standing with himself, an act of God he had embraced with his whole life. And it means further that Abraham is father of all people who embrace what God does for them while they are still on the outs with God, as yet unidentified as God's in an uncircumcised condition. It is precisely these people in this condition who are called set right by God and with God. Abraham is also, of course, the father of those who have undergone the religious rite of circumcision not just because of the ritual, but because they were willing to live in the risky faith embrace of God's action for them, the way Abraham lived long before he was marked by circumcision. That famous promise that God gave Abraham that he and his children would possess the earth was not given because of something Abraham did or would do. It was based on God's decision to put everything together for him, which Abraham then entered when he believed. If those who get what God gives them only get it by doing everything that they are told to do and filling out all of the right forms properly signed, that eliminates personal trust completely and it turns the promise into an ironclad contract.
That's not a holy promise. That's a business deal. A contract drawn up by a hard-nosed lawyer and with plenty of fine print only makes sure that you will never be able to collect. But if there is no contract in the first place, simply a promise, and God's promise at that, you can't break it. This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God and His way, and then simply embracing Him in what He does. God's promise arrives as a pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. Those who have kept the religious traditions and those who have never heard of them. For Abraham is father of us all. He is not our racial father. That's reading the story backward. He is our faith father. We call Abraham father not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in Scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what God could only do. Raise the dead to life with a word makes something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said that he would do. And so he was made father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise asking cautiously skeptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he had said. That's why it said Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right. But it's not just Abraham. It's also us. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life, when the conditions were equally hopeless. The sacrificed Jesus made us fit for God and set us right with God. Mm. And that is the end of Romans chapter 4. I love Romans. What I loved was in verse 12, how it said, and it means further that Abraham is father of all people who embrace what God does for them while they are still on the outs with God. Yes. As yet unidentified as God's and in an uncircumcised condition. Mm. So through that passage there, that's saying like you and I, we're, we're equal footing with. Yeah. Yeah. He's coming to look for us just like Abraham. It's hard to think of it that way. We read the Bible, we read these names, and they're just these revered, held up as examples. I mean, we stop to read sometimes what they were actually like, and they were human, as human and flawed as we were. But it can be really easy to forget that and think of them as greater and bigger and in elevated positions and it isn't the case it isn't the case they're a child of God like we're a child of God 
brothers and sisters, equal in the sight of God, none greater, none lesser. And it's just such a beautiful thing. God is so good. Can you imagine how hard it would be to have faith after you've had decades of infertility? Mm. I mean, wasn't Sarah? I mean, we're a yeah. hundred years old, right? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. Yes. So, I mean, we're talking decades yes. of nothing. And then, and then the, the mind blowing part imagine. of this, right? And this is coming up, so I, d- I don't want to spoiler alert it, but then the obedience. Mm, yes. That Abraham displays. I mean, it's just so powerful. It is. It is. And inspirational. And I hope part of Romans inspires you. I do too. And now for everyone's favorite part, we are jumping in the Wayback Machine and we are rewinding back to Psalms. Heidi, you are going to be picking up here in Psalm chapter 52, is it? I am just waiting for sound effects to come shooting out of everywhere. And, I'll look for a way you know, back machine is, sound uh, effect. You know, yeah, it would sound clunky. I think like you know, oh, and something. then I just picture it sounding like a cassette tape or something. You know, when you had to rewind them, if anybody knows and remembers a cassette tape. Oh, I was but thinking you'd more have of to, the and just oh so it's like a the whole ship would sound like an, a, a cassette oh, tape yes. the way back machine yeah the way back machine like Got it, it is rewinding well i'll see if i can find a long <laughs> rewind <laughs> we're going <laughs> to that sounds a little clunky still waiting yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right let's get to it here we are reading psalm 52 why do you brag of evil big man god's mercy carries the day You scheme catastrophe, your tongue cuts razor sharp, artisan and lies. You love evil more than good. You call black white, you love malicious gossip, you foul mouth. God will tear you limb from limb, sweep you up and throw you out, pull you up by the roots from the land of life. Good people will watch and worship. They'll laugh in relief. Big man bet on the wrong horse, trusted in big money, made his living from catastrophe. And I'm an olive tree, growing green in God's house. I trusted in the generous mercy of God then and now. I thank you always that you went into action, and I'll stay right here. Your good name my hope in company with your faithful friends. It just feels good. Did that psalm feel good? It did. It, what was it, the part that stood out to you? I trusted in the generous mercy of God then and now. Sometimes it can be hard to trust in that mercy or in his love or just in his presence when we're in the middle of some stuff. Yeah. But when we look back on life, I mean, that's why uh, one of the cool things we had, we had that little, it was like a prayer or a blessing, um, where a blessing jar where we, oh, yes. yes, yes. And I love looking at that. I love looking back at my prayer journal oh, yeah. that I have at Crossroads. I mean, I love looking back at that kind of thing because I can see and feel what it was like during that moment 
Mm. And I can read that and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I was feeling a certain way or I was going through this or I was excited for this. And, um, and it's good to have those little blessings. I think little journaling things are important. I think it is. And it's also such a tangible way of being mindful of how many prayers God answers Mm. and we forget, we don't notice, we explain it away. We go to God asking and then when we get an answer and it is what we've asked for, yeah, we often don't stop to thank God for answered prayer. It's just like, well, of course that happened. I was trying to make it happen. That's right. I'm a good worker. Right, so I'm, right. Of course, I'm, I'm talented in that area. It, that's why it happened. That's right. And we've forgotten that that was a prayer matter, mm. that it wasn't happening, and we went and brought it to God. So... I want to be more mindful of that, and I probably should have a prayer journal. Um, I've really been much more mindful of building my prayer life, and it's made a difference. It's made me more mindful and thoughtful of people. It's drawn me closer to God in, in that intimate conversation with Him, and I call that a good thing. I think the prayer journal almost becomes like a secret weapon Yes, because it's very easy, I think, for the enemy to convince us that God isn't listening. God's not going to show up. God's, you know, doing his own thing. He doesn't care. He ain't coming to rescue you. He ain't going to fix this. Mm. All of those lies. He's really good at trying to bring those up. And when you have some type of a journal, it almost becomes a secret weapon, right? Mm. Because now you can say, I'm sorry. I remember when this happened in my life and this was really important to me and God showed up and he's going to again. Yes. And you can just read through some of those things and mm-hmm. say, no, I'm sorry, devil ain't going to happen with I me today. Know. I've got this. I've got this. This is what God's doing for me. This is what he's done for me. And this is what I know he's going to do. That's right. And it's stepping out. I feel in like a confidence and also just you're ready for what God is going to put on your plate. Exactly. And it's not in our timing. And that's the that's the hardest thing to get your head around, I think, is that right. it doesn't happen when we want it to. Right. It's it's easy as humans to go to God with a selfish request because mm. we already have a the timeline and the answer that yeah. we want. We want this and right. we would I'm like this tomorrow. I'm making spaghetti on Thursday, so I need noodles. And that good pasta, not the the good sauce, not the chunky stuff. Not the chunky. (laughs) (laughs) All right, friends, we are going to end today. We got three chapters now in numbers. That's right. Buckle up your camel. Get ready. Pour yourself a cup of caffeinated coffee. That's (laughs) And I'm going to read chapters 9, 10, and 11. Heidi is going to jump in, though, on chapter 10 and give me a little bit of a break because we are going to just plow through some of this number action here. So. We've got this. It. I skimmed through this, and it looks like we have got a lot going on in numbers. There is a lot going on. And this is one of the important things uh, with them. This is one of the ritual celebrations that was very, very important that we're going to talk about in chapter nine. And it's all about the Passover. Mm -hmm. That was, can you imagine being in Egypt when all of this was going on, all the plagues are happening and 
you made it through Passover. You followed the instructions. Your family was spared. You've made it now to this land. And now here's instructions on how God wants that Passover celebrated. I can't even imagine being one of those. Like how important this celebration would be if your family was one of the families that made it out. Oh, it's what happened in that Passover and the despair and the loss and the pain and suffering of losing. Because these people knew their neighbors. They yes. lived. I mean, mm-hmm. these were neighbors that were right. dying. Well, and it was people and animals. And I started thinking about the firstborn and it's like, that's adults and grandparents and children and infants and leaders. And yeah, I just can't even comprehend the suffering. So here we go. We're going to start out in chapter nine in Numbers. Thanks again for joining along. We appreciate having you on this journey through the message. So chapter 9, God spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after leaving Egypt. Have the people of Israel celebrate a Passover at the set time, celebrated on the schedule on the evening of the 14th day of this month, following all the rules and procedures. Moses told the people of Israel to celebrate the Passover, and they did, in the wilderness of Sinai at evening on the 14th day of the first month. The people of Israel did it all just as God had commanded Moses. But some of them couldn't celebrate the Passover on the assigned day because they were ritually unclean on account of a corpse. So they presented themselves before Moses and Aaron on Passover and then told Moses, We have become ritually unclean because of a corpse, but why should we be barred from bringing God's offering along with the other Israelites on the day set for Passover? Moses said, Give me some time. I'll find out what God says in your circumstances. God spoke to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, if one or another of you is ritually unclean because of a corpse, or if you happen to be off on a long trip, you may still celebrate God's Passover, but celebrate it on the 14th day of the second month at evening. Eat the lamb together with unraised bread and bitter herbs, and don't leave any of it until morning. Don't break any of its bones. Follow all of the procedures. But a man who is ritually clean and is not off on a trip and still fails to celebrate the Passover must be cut off from his people, because he did not present God's offering at the set time. That man will pay for his sin. Any foreigner living among you who wants to celebrate God's Passover is welcome to do it, but he must follow all the rules and procedures. The same procedures go for both foreigner and native-born. The day the dwelling was set up, the cloud covered the dwelling of the tent of testimony. From sunset until daybreak, it was over the dwelling. It looked like fire. It was like that all the time, the cloud over the dwelling and at night looking like fire. When the cloud lifted above the tent, the people of Israel marched out, and when the cloud descended, the people camped. 
The people of Israel marched at God's command, and they camped at his command. As long as the cloud was over the dwelling, they camped. Even when the cloud hovered over the dwelling for many days, they honored God's command and wouldn't march. They stayed in camp, obedient to God's command, as long as the cloud was over the dwelling. But the moment that God issued orders, they marched. If the cloud stayed only from sunset to daybreak, and then lifted at daybreak, they marched. Night or day, it made no difference. When the cloud lifted, they marched. It made no difference whether the cloud hovered over the dwelling for two days or a month or a year. As long as the cloud was there, they were there. And when the cloud went up, they got up and they marched. They camped at God's command and they marched at God's command. They lived obediently by God's orders as delivered by Moses. And that was the end of chapter 9. I do have a quick pause here. This says salvation. God doing for his people what they could not do for themselves, overcoming the power of bondage, leading them through the forces of evil, establishing them as his beloved, was publicly announced in the feast of Passover. By preaching this act of salvation at the annual feast, the people repeatedly came to terms with the hard-edged historical reality that they owed their present existence to an act of God who had rescued them from certain death. That act of salvation set them in a new way of life against all worldly odds, a life of faith. The Exodus is only surpassed among Christians by Easter, a final and completed Exodus. The death and resurrection of Christ is also a hard-edged historical reality, and it too is an act of salvation that sets us in a new way of life against all worldly odds, a life of faith. And that's the end of my reading right there. So now Heidi, you're going to be... I'm ready to take over All chapter right. 10 for Taking you. Up chapter 10. Take a rest, get That's a breather, right. you know, relax and Ooh, get I'm those vocal cords ready. Yeah, so. I'm going to go stretch. All right, chapter All right. 10. God spoke to Moses, make two bugles of hammered silver, use them to call the congregation together and give marching orders to the camps. When you blow them, the whole community will meet you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. When a bugle gives a single short blast, That's the signal for the leaders, the heads of the clans, to assemble. When it gives a long blast, that's the signal to march. At the first blast, the tribes who were camped on the east set out. At the second blast, the camps on the south set out. The long blasts are the signals to march. The bugle call that gathers the assembly is different from the signal to march. The sons of Aaron, the priests, are in charge of blowing the bugles. It's their assigned duty down through the generations. When you go to war against an aggressor, blow a long blast on the bugle so that God will notice you and deliver you from your enemies. Also, at times of celebration, at the appointed feasts and new moon festivals, blow the bugles over your whole burnt offerings and peace offerings. They will keep your attention on God. I am God, your God. In the second year, on the twentieth day of the second month, the cloud went up from over the dwelling of the testimony. 
At that, the people of Israel set out on their travels from the wilderness of Sinai until the cloud finally settled in the wilderness of Paran. They began their march at the command of God through Moses. The flag of the camp of Judah led the way, rank after rank under the command of Nashon, son of Amminadab. Nathanael, son of Zuar, commanded the forces of the tribe of Issachar, and Eliab, son of Helon, commanded the forces of the tribe of Zebulon. As soon as the dwelling was taken down, the Gershonites and the Merarites set out, carrying the dwelling. The flag of the camp of Reuben was next, with Elizer, son of Shadur, in command. Shalumiel, son of Zer. Ooh, see? <laughs> Welcome to my world. Here we go. All right. Um, Shalumiel, son of Zerishadai, commanded the forces of the tribe of Simeon. Eliasaph, son of Duel, commanded the forces of the tribe of Gad. Then the Kohathites left, carrying the holy things. By the time they arrived, the dwelling would be set up. The flag of the tribe of Ephraim moved out next, commanded by Elishama, son of Amihad. Gamaliel, son of Pedazer, commanded the forces of the tribes of Manasseh. Abidin, son of Gideoni, commanded the forces of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm going to stop and say, husband, you are amazing at how you can get through these names. Uh, I just hope uh, the same grace is extended to you. (laughs) I'm like, can you imagine these mothers trying to shout out for their kid? And they've got like 15 of them and you've got, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Finally, under the flag of the tribe of Dan, the rear guard of all the camps marched out with Ahizer, son of Amishadai, in command. Pagiel, son of Okran, commanded the forces of the tribe of Asher. Ahira, son of Enan, commanded the forces of the tribe of Naphtali. These were the marching units of the people of Israel. They were on their way. Moses said to his brother-in-law, Hobab, son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We're marching to the place about which God promised. I'll give it to you. Come with us. We'll treat you well. God has promised good things for Israel. But Hobab said, I'm not coming. I'm going back home to my own country, to my own family. Moses countered, Don't leave us. You know all the best places to camp in the wilderness. We need your eyes. If you come with us, we'll make sure that you share in all the good things God will do for us. And so off they marched. From the mountain of God, they marched three days with the chest of the covenant of God in the lead to scout out a campsite. The cloud of God was above them by day when they marched from the camp. With the chest leading the way, Moses would say, Get up, God, put down your enemies, chase those who hate you to the hills. And when the chest was set down, he would say, Rest with us, God, stay with the many, many thousands of Israel. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. Just that asking God to just stay and rest, be with us. Yeah, be with us. Just hang out. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the best conversations I think happen when you're just relaxing on the couch. Yes. 
watching TV, maybe just hanging out. doesn't even have to be, but just those little simple conversations, right? Yes. So parents, I know uh, that's one of the ways that we get to know our kids, right? Just hanging out, oh, yes. sitting down with them. And here yes. Moses is just inviting that. Sit down with us, God. Yeah, God, just spend this time with us. Let's be together here. And now I'll be ending the day in Numbers chapter 11. Man, thank you so much for just powering through some of this with us here. Oh, you've got some stuff coming. So. I do, yes. Here we go. The people fell to grumbling over their hard life. Isn't that how we always do? I mean, when oh, stuff gets I hard, know. we get to grumbling. Mm. So. so the people fell to grumbling over their hard life. God heard. When he heard, his anger flared, and then fire blazed up and burned the outer boundaries of the camp. The people cried out for help to Moses. Moses prayed to God, and the fire died down. They named the place Tabira, which means blaze, because God, because fire from God had blazed up against them. The misfits among the people had a craving, and soon they had the people of Israel whining. Why can't we have meat? We ate fish in Egypt, and we got it for free. To say nothing of the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks and the onions and garlic. But nothing tastes good out here. All we get is manna, manna, manna. Manna was a seed-like substance with a shiny appearance like resin. The people went around collecting it and ground it between stones or pounded it fine in a mortar. Then they boiled it in a pot and shaped it into cakes. It tasted like a delicacy cooked in olive oil. When the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna was right there with it. Moses heard the whining, all those families whining in front of their tents. God's anger blazed up. Moses saw that things were in a bad way. Moses said to God, Why are you treating me this way? What did I ever do to you to deserve this? Did I conceive them? Was I their mother? So why dump the responsibility of this people on me? Why tell me to carry them around like a nursing mother? Carry them all the way to the land that you promised to their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people who are whining to me? Give us meat. We want meat. I can't do this by myself. It's too much. All these people. If this is how you intend to treat me, do me a favor and kill me. I've seen enough. I've had enough. Let me out of here. Oh my goodness. God said to Moses, Gather together 70 men from among the leaders of Israel, men whom you know to be respected and responsible. Take them to the tent of the meeting, and I'll meet you there. I'll come down and speak with you, and I'll take some of the spirit that is on you and place it on them. They'll then be able to take some of the load of this people. You won't have to carry the whole thing alone. Tell the people, Consecrate yourselves. Get ready for tomorrow when you're going to eat meat. You've been whining to God. We want meat. Give us meat. We had a better life in Egypt. Well, God has heard your whining and he's going to give you meat. You're going to eat meat. 
And it's not just for a day that you'll eat meat, and not for two days or even five or ten or twenty, but for a whole month. You're going to eat meat until it's coming out of your nostrils. You're going to be so sick of meat that you'll throw up at the mere mention of it. And here's why. Because you have rejected God, who is right here among you, whining to his face. Oh, why did we ever have to leave Egypt? Moses said, I'm standing here surrounded by 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I'll give them meat, meat every day for a month. So where's it coming from? Even if all the flocks and herds were butchered, would that be enough? Even if all the fish in the sea were caught, would that be enough? God answered Moses, So, do you think I can't take care of you? You'll see soon enough whether what I say happens for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people what God had said. He called together 70 of the leaders and had them stand around the tent. God came down in a cloud and spoke to Moses and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 leaders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they didn't continue. It was a one-time event. Meanwhile, two men, Eldad and Medad, had stayed in the camp. They were listed as leaders, but they didn't leave the camp to go to the tent. Still, the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' right-hand man since his youth, said, Moses, Master, stop them. But Moses said, Are you jealous for me? Would that all God's people were prophets? Would that God put his spirit on all of them? Then Moses and the leaders of Israel went back to the camp. A wind set in motion by God swept quails in from the sea. They piled up to a depth of about three feet in the camp and as far out as a day's walk in every direction. All that day and night and into the next day, the people were out gathering the quail, huge amounts of quail. Even the slowest person among them gathered at least 60 bushels. They spread them out all over the camp for drying. But while they were still chewing the quail and had hardly swallowed the first bites, God's anger blazed out against the people. He hit them with a terrible plague. They ended up calling the place Kibroth Hatabah, Graves of the Craving. There, they buried the people who craved meat. From Kibroth Hatabah, they marched on to Hezroth, and they remained at Hezroth. And there's a quick little pause here about the end here of chapter 11. It said, There are two interlaced convictions that characterize a prophet. The first is that God is personal and alive and active in our day-to-day lives. The second is that what is going on right now in this world at this time in history is critical. A prophet is obsessed with God and immersed in the now. The work of a prophet is to call people to live well, to live rightly, to be, in a word, human. Fully 
and truly human. But it's more than a call to say something. It's a call to be something. It's a call not only to speak the message, but also to live the message. A prophet must be what he or she says. So it's the prophet's message along with the prophet's life that challenge us to become all that we've been created to be. And that's why Moses said, Would that all God's people were prophets. Numbers 11.29 And that, my friends, is the end of Numbers. It was a good reading today. I'm just picturing in my mind what this would have looked like, this group of hundreds of thousands of people moving across the desert, this spectacular Because he said 600,000 men. Yes. That tabernacle, just this beautiful, glorious tabernacle. But God dwelt there. There was always that cloud Mm. or fire at night. Always. It was never, ever gone. And I was just struck by the fact that they were always to look to it and they were always to follow it. Exactly like we're supposed to do with Jesus. The same, same thing. The thing I got out of some of the what we read in Numbers in all three of the chapters was the one place where Moses had really thrown up his hands like, I can't do this anymore. I mean, if this is how I'm going to be treated, I'm done. I, I am out. Hey, Get just me kill out me. of here. Kill me. And God said, you know what? I recognize that. Mm. It was a tough conversation. I mean, Moses literally went to God and said, I'm done with all of this. Go ahead and kill me now. I mean, I don't know how much more raw and real we can be shown that we can be Mm -hmm. with God. And he'll listen to that. Yes. And what did he do? He said, you know what? Yes, I see where you're coming from. And provided a way and took some of Moses' spirit, put it on the 70. And that really helped him to be able to manage that huge group of people. I mean, we're talking one person. There's no smartphones. There's no text messaging. (laughs) There's no, you know what I mean? So, I mean, just think about communication back then. I know. I mean, simple things that we take so for granted today. I know. And But God still made a way inside of what they had to work with. Yeah. And uh, I think it's it's a beautiful thing that we can be raw like that with mm-hmm. God, and He will listen. He's not he going to shame sure us. Will and He will send help when we need it. Mm. I imagine Moses really craved and looked forward to those moments of silence and peace when he could just withdraw and be alone. No people coming mm. to him. Nobody needing advice. No decisions to make. No dealing with this, that, or the next thing, I can only imagine how much Moses appreciated Mm -hmm. quiet. Kind of like when you're in a car, got a couple kids in the back back seat, and uh, (laughs) I know, and you're like, I just want quiet. And we're we're trying the quiet game for the seventh time. And And everybody's losing. (laughs) Oh, man. 
So friends, we appreciate you on this journey through the message today. Thanks so much for choosing to spend just a sliver of your day with us. It means the world to us. And if this episode has blessed you in any way, take a second and just hit the like button. Maybe throw a comment down there. Or if you have a chance, go and rate our podcast. We would love to have a review on the podcast that helps us keep getting the message out. It's free. It's easy. That's right. And we appreciate the support. We We really do. You know us. We know you. It's one big happy family. It is a wonderful (laughs) family to be part of. That's right. So friends, thanks again for joining us today. Have a great day and a great week. And we will see you next time on this journey through the message. And we're going to finish up here today with something to think about. We got four questions, one for each passage. Out of Matthew today, think about how can I demonstrate love for God and others this week? Next, when we move to Romans, the question is, can I trust God in tough times just like Abraham did? Then when we go back to Psalms, it's how can I show genuine trust in God's unfailing love? And the last question today is out of numbers, and it's, will I focus on God's provision or grumble about challenges that are in my life? So are you going to focus on what God has provided, what he's given to you, or are you going to focus on those challenges that are in your life? Because we're always going to have challenges. So you have a choice. Which one are you focusing on? Friends, I hope you have a great week, and I look forward to seeing you next week on this journey through the message.